Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the TFL Classics podcast. We like to uh, slot in right between the truck and the car podcast. But today we are talking about some of our favorite vehicles, right, Case? Yeah, and unfortunately, instead of Tommy, it's his uh, shorter lookalike. It's it's me. <laughs> but Brent and I are going to talk about our favorite Chevys, which is a great topic for a podcast because there's a lot of fantastic classic Chevys that we've done a bunch of videos on on this channel and a bunch that we'd love to do videos on that are kind of dream cars. Well, but first, I need to channel my inner Tommy and get you talking about breakfast. Yeah, apparently this is something that happens on all of these classics podcasts is that you guys talk about breakfast. What is going on in this <laughs> Well, Tommy, of our Tommy office? likes to talk about his, you know, runny eggs and eggs. the the crispy but not too crunchy hash browns um, and you then putting ketchup about the, on all of his breakfast. Like the breakfast that you had that day or breakfast in general? Just just our ideas on breakfast for that day. And That's I'll, I'll give you my breakfast that I had for today. And maybe I'm crazy, okay. but I had <laughs> leftover pizza for breakfast and I had it cold. I mean, that's just practical. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you're crazy for that. I've been there okay. before. I, on the other hand, am not good about the most important meal of the day. I usually just come in... Um, from a quick workout in the morning and I have these little protein shakes that are like 30 grams of protein and they're tiny and they're very inexpensive. So, I mean, it's, it's good. It works, but yeah, I, I'm never willing to put that much effort. Yeah. That's, that's kind of boring case. Yeah. It's, not it's not, lie. it's not exciting, but that's what I have going on for breakfast almost every single day that I come in here. So, okay. Well, if you've clicked onto this podcast, you are hoping to hear us talk about our favorite Chevys of all time. And since this is a classics podcast, we aren't going to be talking about many modern Chevys, No, but we have each picked out five of our favorites and I'm going to give a go to start with my number five favorite, and that is the GMT 400 Series 454 SS truck. Now, this is a truck that was built on a fourth-generation Chevy CK platform, which was from 1988 to 2000, but the SS actually came out in 1990 with a 7.4-liter V8 from the 3500 series trucks, and this thing was pumping out 230 horsepower <laughs> and 385 pound-feet of torque through a three-speed automatic, but if you got the 91 to 93 version, they did up that to 255 horsepower, 405 pound-feet of torque, and then gave it a four-speed auto. Yeah, it's not a boatload of power, is it? No, I mean, when, but you're, it's a cool when you're thinking truck. about it in modern standards, it's not. But when you're thinking about it as far as early 90s goes, yeah. you know, they took the, I mean, the heavy-duty motor yeah. and put it in the lighter-duty truck. And I think it's kind of an interesting concept. Oh, it's definitely an interesting concept and a really cool truck, not the least because of the way that it looks. All blacked out, 454 SS badge on the side. This is a totally badass truck. Uh, and the thing about the 454, too, is that there's plenty that you can do to unrestrict that engine and let it breathe a little bit better. You could help that truck make some more power. But... That is a very, very special pickup truck and one that I think is going to be remembered fondly because just look at it. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm well, surprised it, actually that this isn't higher up on your list. Well, it's number five because I will admit that although I appreciate trucks, 
I am not generally a huge like truck, a, a truck guy. guy. I can, you know, there are uh, generally yeah. truck guys. I get trucks. Like, I get why you'd want a truck. I think that some trucks are cool. Some trucks aren't cool. It's but not usually your thing. It's just not usually my thing. Unless we're talking like a D21 hard body Nissan. Oh, man. Then, then <laughs> yes, I'm all about it. The, the everyman the, truck. The everyman truck. Or the Pathfinder. Either one. If you got something on that D21 platform... You, you all just need to go out and buy those. They're the best truck known, <laughs> known to man in existence. We need but to buy one. Yeah, we should. We should. But it's not a Chevy, so I digress. I just I had to get in my D21 rant. Yeah, apparently. Per usual, it wouldn't be the Classics podcast without it. But did you know that the first two years, they only offered this with the black exterior and the red interior. But after that, you did actually have some color options. But the, the thing that I found interesting when I was researching this... Um, they made a total of 16,953 454SSs. Of those, 13,748 were the 1990 models. Interesting. So they made them 91, 92, and 93 as well. But there were, what, 3,000 of them made between <laughs> those remaining three years? Yeah. So the vast majority of the ones you're going to find are a 1990 with the black exterior, the red interior, and the less powerful motor. Yeah. So I would think those more powerful ones in different colors on. are pretty, pretty collectible. Probably, although part of me thinks that getting that truck in black with that red interior, but especially the black exterior, would be the way to go because that's just true of so many iconic GM performance vehicles. You think about the Grand National, um, the Cyclone and the Typhoon, you know, yeah. you always see those in black, having this in black. I mean, could you imagine if you had all four of those? Right. Yeah, that'd be, that would be cool. that'd be a cool collection for sure. And then the the one last interesting thing I think that they made decision or uh, design wise with this truck is that instead of going with a bench seat, which is what all their other trucks had, this went with mm. two bucket seats Sporty. in the front. Yeah, with kind of a, an actual center console there. And um, the red is pretty phenomenal. Yes, for sure. <laughs> well, anyways, so that's that's my number five pick. But I'm curious, Case, what is your number five pick? My number five pick is is kind of interesting, and it's less so my number five pick really for the vehicle itself and, and what it was originally, although there's a lot that you could do with it, but it would be a 1962-ish Chevy van. There's a lot of cool Chevy vans that popped up over the years. Something about this particular body style stands out to me, and I love the idea of this as a cool kind of motorcycle transporting vehicle, something that you could even potentially put a motorcycle on one side of it and a little sleeping setup on the other side of it so that if you wanted to do some moto camping kind of thing or do a track day or whatever, not that I ride on the track, it would be a really cool way to transport around bikes and some other things. And my, my vision of something like this hot rotted a little bit oh and, yeah and set up to haul around some of your other vehicles that sounds pretty cool to me didn't these come mid-engine likely i've actually never driven one i've never gotten to really poke around one but well, just looking at the photos of it here i see some like slats toward like right above that rear wheel and i'm guessing that that's so that the rear engine can get a little bit of cooling i can see that this and would be a vehicle i'd love to actually get a, a chance to poke around and see what it's all about and if I'm, I'm not mistaken, I think, and I could be wrong here because I haven't done the research on this van, but um, I think that the 
Corvair was on the same platform as these 60 vans, if I'm not mistaken. And I think, you know, because the Corvair was also mid-engine rear-wheel drive. Right. Which I think these vans were all were mid-engine rear-wheel drive. I mean, most vans back then were mid-engine rear-wheel drive, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and it would make sense. I mean, having an engine in the back would obviously get in the way of loading some things in. Um, but... Yeah, so it's the first generation is 64 to 66 of the Chevrolet van. And, yeah, it's Corvair-based. Um, okay, so it is the same platform as that Corvair. Yeah. And which they, I think is cool because you, you take, like, a, 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 a car that didn't get a lot of love, although I do think the Corvairs are kind of cool personally. Um, <laughs> so does Alex, actually. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, he does. He loves well, them. Well, they did get a lot of hate, um, especially because people saw them as uh, terrible to drive because they were uncontrollable. I know there was some big story that came out about that back then. But uh, you take that platform and you make it super usable by essentially throwing a giant box on top of it. And I kind of agree. It, it's, it's a unique look and I think um, a timeless classic. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the, the engine was in a doghouse between and behind the front seats. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting setup, but I think it would be a cool kind of vehicle to try and do something totally out of the box with. Really, the reason I like it is just for that body and the potential of that to turn into something totally different than what it was from the factory. So my interest in it, I guess, personally, is, is less because of what it was right, and more in what it could be. Totally makes sense. What's your number four? Well, my number four, also going pretty old. I'm actually going even older. I'm going with the Chevy Bel Air. Okay. And I think that nothing is more American iconic than a Chevy Bel Air. When, you, when somebody says... I, I think of the good times. I remember the good times, right? You think of those, those yeah. old car hops and the classic rock and roll. You're always picturing in the background a beautiful Chevy Bel Air. Oh, 100%. It's one of the most picturesque, one of the most iconic vintage vehicles of all time, especially where I'm from in the Southeast. If you go to a car show, every car show is probably, it feels like about 15 to 20% Tri-5 Chevys. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a massively popular and well-regarded car. But the cool thing about these Bel Airs is that there's still so many different ways to reinterpret them. And even just seeing one that hasn't been restored, hasn't been modified, is also really cool. Yeah, I could see that. Well, and if you are not familiar with the Bel Air, which I'm sure there's maybe one person listening <laughs> that's not familiar with the Bel Air, but let me fill you in. This was built from 1955 to 57. So it wasn't it, because I'm talking about the second generation Bel Air. That's the most iconic one. Uh, the first gen is pretty cool, not as well known. The third gen also cool, not as well known. The one that you're, you're picturing when you think of a Bel Air is that second generation. And you could get them with a V8. They were not very fast. I mean, we're talking zero to 60 in the maybe 13 second range. Yeah, no, it's um, not a high performance car. But the thing that I think is really interesting um, is there were a few changes over the years of that second gen and included with these rear uh, wings in the back, almost reminiscent of like those 
what Cadillac started doing yeah. shortly after that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was common in the car industry, obviously, towards the late 50s. We've all seen late 50s cars. Those wings got bigger and bigger. In the 57, that big trim panel that's on the back there that you see is uh, one of the most iconic bits of styling from the 1950s on any car. Yeah. That is an instantly recognizable piece. Absolutely. And then the interior as well is... Yeah. Gorgeous. I mean, we're also talking really lots cool. of chrome and um, body colored, body like body colored matched interiors, and then the Bel Air script on yeah. the the uh, dash there. It's just it's beautiful from pretty much every single angle that you could possibly look at from the interior or the exterior of the car. A lot of nice hard places to hit your head if you ran into something. <laughs> yeah, safety wasn't a huge <laughs> no, concern. No, definitely not. Back then, that's that's, but that's not sure. why we love classics. Is the, it? the one the one last thing I'd like to say about the Bel Air too is when it came out. I mean, we're talking mid fifties here. The these things started at two thousand dollars, and a lot of people can think in their heads, well, of course, that's the 50s, you know, money was a lot cheaper back then, right, because of inflation. Well, $2,000 back in 1955 is equivalent today of $20,000. Yeah. So could you imagine? Well, still not bad. Yeah. If, if there was a manufacturer out there that made something this beautiful for $20,000, it's just, they would sell, like, they would sell every single one of them that they could possibly make. Yeah. But it's yeah, just it's and not, not made completely anymore. out of plastic. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of metal on that car. Right. I just, I, it's it's amazing that they did that back then. That they were able to offer it at such an affordable price, and I yeah. think that's part of why it's it's part of our true history in America yeah. is the Bel Air. Well, and it's also part of why there's so many of them. You see them pretty regularly. There's a lot of them out there because they sold a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. So. What is your number four case? Uh, pretty similar to yours. It's also based on a Bel Air, but this is a Nomad. And for me, specifically the 56, the bodywork and the trim changed on these for each of the Tri-5s, 55, 56, and 57. But my favorite personally is the 56. And these are really cool. They called it a, a two-door kind of sport wagon. So it is a station wagon, the Nomad, but... It's still a two-door, which is pretty badass. Over the years, there's just not been that many two-door station wagons. So whenever you see one, it's pretty cool. And this was also a vehicle that shared a lot of its underpinnings and its general shape with the Pontiac Safari. But of course, the Chevy Nomad is probably better remembered. You could get it with a 4.6 V8 or a 4.3. You had a couple V8 options, which is cool, but again, in my vein, I, I can almost never leave something alone. What I would love to see with a Nomad, and this is kind of out there, so if you're not with me through this, that's fine, because everybody's tastes are different. But like a lot of people, I've seen some of the Motor Trend Roadkill episodes on um, Mike Finnegan's Blasphemy, which is a gasser. It's a, uh, I think his is a 55 Bel Air. But I think it would be cool to do a gasser build on a nomad because you just don't see nomads as much and also especially where we are in colorado and even where i grew up on the east coast you almost never see this classic dragster gasser style car these days and his is insane he's got a 528 cubic inch hemi in it which is why it's called blasphemy uh and he's that making is blasphemy throwing a 
a Mopar motor in a I mean in a GM product. Yeah, but it's also supercharged, <laughs> 528 cubic inch or like 1100 horsepower, and he's running he's running eights in that car. You know, it's Jesus it's badass. He's got a completely custom built racing frame chassis under it. It's uh, that's that's a mean machine. I think doing something along those lines, something just totally crazy, totally out there with a Nomad, would be a badass build. So, well, I think even in their stock form, oh yeah, right there, that's th- a stunning th- car. Again, it's a timeless classic, much like the Bel Air that it's based on. And you take the Bel Air and you add some practicality to it, um, and I get yeah. it. it. And it's you just cool. make it a little bit more unique too. And look at how much glass there is going back there. It's really pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah, I can I can get behind that. I I still think I would prefer a Bel Air over a nomad myself but i get where you're going with it i mean even the blasphemy guys they chose a bel-air yeah to make their car out of you know yeah that's what most people do there's a lot of bel-airs out there i kind of like that the nomad you don't see it as often it's also the reason that i like that that idea of a gasser because you don't see them that often now of course you know we're talking about vehicles that we like and i'm talking a lot about things that i would do with those vehicles that are not what they are and what they were originally um but i'm just trying to explain a little bit of my logic of why I picked certain vehicles on this list, um, some of the reasons that they're my personal favorites. Okay. Well, everybody, I think it is time for an ad break. We will be right back and get right back to the list. All right, and we're back. And if you are still with us and you watch those ads, thanks. Congrats. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And to reward you, we are going to get right back to the list talking about my number three favorite Chevy of all time. Yeah, let's see it. And we are talking about the Corvette C2, which in my opinion is the greatest Corvette of all time. (laughs) Controversial statement. (laughs) This won't be the only Corvette on the list, of course, Yeah, (laughs) as I'm sure many of you know. I I love these. These came out in 1963 and were made till 1967, originally with that split window in the back. Uh, They quickly got rid of that, though, due to visibility. But because of that, now the split windows are super valuable. So valuable. The 63s, yeah. Oh, my God. And and that split window does look fantastic. Yeah, it's just you can't... I mean, it's, it's about I mean, as practical to look out of as a Lamborghini Countach, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's not a car that you would buy to be practical, and especially with that split window. This is just one of the all-time most incredible-looking cars. They are absolutely stunning. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so in the later versions, these could be even have had with a 427 cubic inch V8 pumping out 435 horsepower, but this is back before they registered... Uh, horsepower in net terms so it's probably what like 250 actual horsepower (laughs) i mean it's pre (laughs) being choked by so much um so much of the smog equipment emissions equipment so i probably i'm sure they were pretty healthy engines but yeah um yeah, I'm sure it's not a full 400 and what 35 you said 435 yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably not quite that many yeah the, so here's some of the interesting things that I think about it um, now I'm a big football fan I know you're a little bit of a football fan but not College a huge, football not, yeah yeah so the first ever Super Bowl Bart Starr from the Green Bay Packers was the MVP and what did they award him with a 67 Corvette. 
Nice. That's so, a good award. I'd take that. Yeah, I think that's a cool award they, as well. They win a lot more than that when when you. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm yeah. I know NFL players get a lot bigger prizes <laughs> back, than that. Back now, then, but, they yeah. were they weren't they weren't making a whole lot back then. So the, <laughs> Not the fact as much that, as today. that he got a brand new Corvette. That's it was pretty probably cool. pretty nice. And and to know that that's part of the history of the Corvette is the first ever Super Bowl. That was the award. Doesn't get more American than that. And then another uh, interesting piece of information. So over half of the weight sits on the rear axle, which was the first time an American front engine car had this kind of weight distribution. And this was the result. Uh, it basically it made it so that we actually had an American car that handled in the turns. So this was kind of unique for the time because if you think about it, back in the early '60s and the '50s, all of our cars were big and floaty and not very well known for handling yeah. around the corners. But this was one of the first American cars that could really handle as well as go fast in a straight line. And I think that's part of what made it so iconic. It's, yeah. And so much so in the fact that Neil Armstrong owned one, and when he flew to the moon and landed on the moon and came back to Earth, the first thing he wanted to do was drive his C2 Corvette. A true American. Yes. And yeah. uh, if you're on YouTube Did you say here, C4? Too? I'm sorry, C2. Yeah. If I said C4, I apologize. No, C2 <laughs> Corvette. Um, and if you're on YouTube, what I have up here is an actual image of Neil Armstrong's Corvette that he drove down the airstrip near the, I think, Cape Canaveral, right? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, I think I think that's where they launched from in Florida, um, and he drove this thing at top speed down the airstrip, in just celebration of being able to land on the. Moon. I mean, just <laughs> think of how 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 cool <laughs> that is. That. I landed on the moon, and now I'm driving my C2 Corvette. <laughs> Let me max out my vet. <laughs> yeah. Down down a an uh, an Air Force airstrip. I think that's really that's cool. Fantastic, and I think it's it's one of the things that people forget a lot of times about. Corvettes because they are so common. It's you know you see a Corvette drive by and you're not like oh oh my god I can't believe it. They are fairly typical cars. So people kind of forget that a lot of innovation in these cars in terms of engineering, like you were just talking about with its weight distribution and just so much history behind the nameplate. That's one of the things that makes it cool to be a Corvette owner. Yeah, yeah, especially a C2. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got the money, yeah, then sure. Well, and if uh, if you want to get a recreation of it, there is a recreation of the Corvette out there. So in 1963, when they first came out with it, they came out with the Corvette Grand Sport race car. Uh, they actually only built five of those for the entire hmm. world. So if you wanted to own one, we're talking you know, well into the seven figures to be able to get one. So the people over at Mongoose Motorsports recreated that with what I have here on the image. <laughs> yeah. I saw Case's eyes get kind of wide there. So I don't I don't know that it's he not, loves the look of it. It's not exactly the <laughs> the sixties experience it looks like, you know? Yeah, I mean it's it is an all fiberglass shell. You know, they they well, created yeah, it from the the ground up. Corvettes to, are no strangers to fiberglass, but that's true. But it's it's not it's not taking yeah. uh, an actual Corvette and yeah. converting it into this. They are building it from the ground up to look as close as they could get to that uh, Grand Sport race car. Um, and you can buy these for less than a hundred thousand bucks. Consider you know yeah. so ten times Still less a lot than, of money. Yes, but ten times less. I guess everything than, is relative, isn't it? Right. Yeah. 
Um, and I think, honestly, if I were to get any version of the C2, I might go get one of these mongooses. And, it, and I know it's not an actual Corvette, and I get that. But here's the thing. A lot of the same if, spirit, if I you, guess. Yeah, but yeah. if you have an actual C2 Corvette, at least me personally, I would be nervous every day I take that thing out for a drive because yeah, it's and you're going to feel bad vehicle. about putting miles on it. Yes. Whereas a garage-built mongoose, yeah, you know, thrash who, it. Who cares? Go have fun. Yeah, go have fun. Roast the tires. Go drag race it. Take <laughs> it to the track. Just have a blast with it. You still have that same iconic look of the yeah. C2 Corvette, but something that uh, isn't as precious that you can take out and enjoy. And I just, I kind of like the idea of that. Similar to like those, I understand that those Cobra replicas. Like yeah. I would never want to own an actual Cobra. I would want the Cobra replica. Yeah. So that I could actually drive it. I feel the same way. Yeah. I think I think you're right about that. Okay. Well, cool. Well, what what is that was my number three. What is your number three case? Ooh, very classic. It would be a second generation Chevy CK pickup truck. Specifically, I like C10s. This to me is an awesome thing to build kind of a muscle truck out of, a little bit of a farm truck somewhere in between, something that you could still use, but um, has a little bit of muscle to it. And Chevy called these at the time the Action Line. That was this generation of the truck. You could get it with up to 396 with 325 horsepower and 410 pound-feet of torque. Wow, that's a lot of torque for the 70s. Yeah, that's not not bad for an old truck. And, uh, well, yeah, I guess in 71 and 72, the biggest engine option was a 402, and that was rated at 300 horsepower. so they actually ended up making a little bit less power in later years, obviously, gotcha. um, as, as did a lot of vehicles from the era. But what a rad platform for building uh, just a cool and reasonably practical old truck to have to cruise around town. Like I said, you know, you could, you could use it practically. You could throw some things in the back, use that for a picnic on a nice day or something. Uh, yeah, just cruising to work on a, on a good day. I mean... These, I think, are, are just some of the best-looking pickup trucks that have ever been made. Really simple, but nice kind of boxy shape to it, not too boxy, and especially in that two-tone. I mean, is that, is that not... When, when you picture old pickup truck in your mind, is that not exactly what you think? Well... It is for me. When, when I picture old pickup truck, the one that I picture, actually, which I think is also a Is it the one Chevy. that haunts you every day? Is it me and my <laughs> big lab comments? No. <laughs> no, I picture an older Chevy, actually. Um, do you, did you see Forrest Gump? Yeah, of course. You, you know that the, the iconic scene where they're like, run, Forrest, run. Yeah, they're chasing them. And they're chasing them in that truck. Yeah. That's the truck that I that picture. Is. Okay. And I think that's a, a 55 Chevy so it's just like 20-year older version of yeah. what you like. Um, and that's kind of what I, when I think of like having an old farm truck, that's that's what image comes to my head. I can see that. When I see this, though, and I see somebody driving around in the 70s version of that truck, I just picture, well, I think of two things. I think, first of all, uh, they're a man. A man. That does yeah. manly things. For and, sure. And two, I think of... They work really hard. <laughs> Whatever they're out doing, 
They're probably well, out, you know, laying rocks, yeah. building a road, building a shed for their wife. And this or is an unpopular hard labor. Unpopular opinion. I actually prefer the long bed version of this truck. I like the proportions of it better. Most people, when they're building hot rods out of these, they like the short bed versions of them. Yeah, I'm 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 a fan of the long bed, and they're usually a little bit cheaper and easier to find. Although uh, these these are getting expensive these days too. Oh, are they really? Yeah, I mean that you know these used to be unbelievably cheap trucks, but kind of like everything that any enthusiast would be interested in, you know, they doesn't seem like a whole lot of anything is getting cheaper anymore. Yeah. Still though. It's still uh, it's a cool truck for really, sure. Really cool truck. I, I think. I would. Re- I think if I were to buy Stunning. one, I would buy one that's been a little bit beat so that I could actually Definitely. use it as yeah. a truck. Oh yeah, some some patina. Know? I mean this this one is is very pristine. It looks like perfect paint. Wouldn't be surprised if it's been resprayed. But something that had a little bit of patina, a few little dents, but no rust and a mostly straight body. Yeah, that yeah. sounds that sounds like fun to me. Yeah, I think these I, are. I get. You. I think we're on the same page there, which is surprising. Honestly, we've been yeah, on the same like page you, well, for. And like you said too, so you're not far. most of you're not usually a truck guy. Yeah, so. but if you're gonna have a truck, this this is a, a pretty iconic a truck. truck to get. Yeah, don't don't get a show queen. Yeah. You know that you're gonna drive around and show or pretend like you're a truck guy. Yeah. Well, and there's also too just yeah. a lot of generations of C10s that, um, that are loved for a lot of different reasons. My girlfriend even has a C10, and she loves that truck. Very cool. Yeah, but hers is a GMC, so it didn't make it on this list. Well, I have a question. (laughs) So I uh, earlier today, you were flying back from a uh, press trip. Yes. And I had to help get a new part (laughs) for one of your beloved vehicles. Yeah. Do you want to tell the people about what you're doing? Yeah, it's been a chaotic week. Uh, (laughs) I've done a lot of traveling. Um, So I've been up for a very long time. But uh, yeah, Brendan, while I was traveling, was kind enough to help slide a new, well, a refurbished transmission for my old Mercedes um, out of the truck that delivered it into the bed of a truck here at the office. Um, And yeah, thanks for doing that because it weighs 200 pounds. Um, at least all packed up in its shipping box. But yeah, throwing a new transmission in the Mercedes. The old your tra- Mercedes. Which uh, what year is your Mercedes? Seventy three Mercedes two eighty SEL. It's like the precursor to the S class. And it was funny actually because Brendan told me when I was on my way back to Colorado, uh, he said, "Hey, you know, we're, we we're gonna record us a classics podcast, um, and we want to do it on our favorite vehicles from a certain brand, classics." Uh, what brand do you want? And I said, anything but Mercedes. <laughs> Is that your frustration level with that Mercedes right now? Is you're just... You, it's just you're par for the course. Nah, it? It, sometimes. It's just... Honestly, a lot of it is just par for the course, you know? You just kind of throw your shoulders up and you're like, yeah, well, am I surprised it needs a transmission? No. <laughs> that's that's just how that car is. So I wanted to make sure for this podcast that we did anything else than Mercedes, but uh, what's going on? See how I I got you to fit in Mercedes into the podcast? Great. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love that? (laughs) How's how's your fleet? Uh, My fleet's doing well. I've got a uh, Chevy S10 Blazer that is 
mostly fixed. I'm hoping to pick it up this weekend, actually. You also just bought something interesting for one of your vehicles. I don't know if you're talking about it on video oh, yet. but I, I Well, so I haven't talked about it on video yet, um, but I will for you guys, <laughs> just for you guys, for Very those that, that watch the and listen to the podcast. Um, I had two Mini Coopers, two R50 yeah. generation Mini Coopers. I actually sold one on TFL Bids, my convertible, the really low mileage one. The reason I sold it is because it's just too nice for me. I every time I would drive <laughs> it, fair. I'd get stressed out that I was it yeah, was you're depreciating ruin it. it or I was going to break something or get a rock um, chip. Yeah. So in turn, I bought a two thousand two hundred dollar uh, Mini Cooper um, hatchback which I think I actually prefer driving the hatchback versus the convertible. Um, I feel the same. But it's pretty much every body panel on it is dented in one way or another. And I thought to myself, you know, this would make a great Baja build. (laughs) (laughs) Because I currently own a Baja Beetle, a rear-wheel drive Baja Bug, a a vehicle that was just built as an economy or, you know, kind of fun-ish car. And people built it into an off-roader, so I want to do the same thing with the Mini Cooper. Do you know if that Cooper has a limited slip? I don't know. I I don't think they do, actually. I I had a Cooper for a little while, and uh, I I can't remember. I want to say that it doesn't. But either way, that's going to be an interesting build. So he bought a a lift kit for his Mini. Yeah, so it's it's getting an official 2-inch lift. One of the things Um, going on with his garage. (laughs) Yeah, so that's going to happen. I still have to buy all the other components. That's just the very first component. So it's it's probably going to be some time before you all see it uh, on the TFL Classics uh, YouTube channel. But it will be up there eventually where... Sometime this year, you will see um, my Baja Mini because I'm committed now. I bought the lift kit. Yeah, I've got parts the car. are on their way. I've got the lift kit. There's no going back yeah. now. I need to get some tires. I need to get some wheels and maybe a few other components. Uh, I'm gonna do like the full rally lights on the top. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna you, do you like a full to, yeah. bull bar on the front. Yeah, I'm going all out with this thing, <laughs> making it into a crazy wild off-roader, a car that you would yeah. normally never think of as an off-roader. One, we know that Brendan's not just all talk to because he's done, we've seen him do some pretty crazy things with his personal vehicles before, like what you did with the exhaust on that Volvo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did so. a uh, Japanese style, I forget yeah. what they call it, but it's it's basically to uh, a ginormous exhaust. Yeah, it, <laughs> so the it's cat on this the old Volvo was bad, and so I was gonna have to do something to the exhaust anyways, and I figured, I bought this car for 500 bucks, why not do something wild? Yeah. And so I took the exhaust, had it come out the side of the car, and out like by the rear passenger door, which it actually blocked so you couldn't even open the rear passenger door anymore. It's fine, because there's two doors <laughs> yeah, exactly. on the back. So. And you got one of the rear passenger doors. As many as and you need. Had it shoot, like it went maybe like a full foot taller than the actual yeah. car itself. <laughs> and then we painted it gold to match the uh, the gold hood that was yeah. on it as well. So it was, yeah, if you want to see the video of that one, it's also on yeah. TFL Classics. We even took that out to the ranch and did a little snow driving yeah. and then a little bit of off-roading with it. Brendan's no stranger doing some crazy things with uh, some of his vehicles. So when he says he's going to put a lift kit on his Mini Cooper, he's actually going to do it. I'm going to do it. There's going to be videos. So (laughs) that's something that you guys now know about because you're watching the Classics Podcast. And I believe it's roundabout time for another ad break. Yeah, I think so. And and to to help with the people that are still going to be watching after the ad, we will go right back to the list, which is what I know you all tuned in for. So... Hang on, we'll be right back. 
All right. Well, if you're still watching, thank you. And we will go right back to the list. And I think, yeah. Case, it is your turn to tell us the next on your favorite Chevy's list. Isn't it your number two next? You know what? You are entirely right. Yes. Because we are talking about my number two vehicle. Yeah. This is definitely... Is this yeah, is not, not, not one yours. of my picks. You're, you're going to have to sell me on this one. <laughs> so, in fairness to me, <laughs> I wanted to try and pick something from each generation. Right. I could have talked about... Yeah, you, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. From each decade. So, I wanted to pick a Camaro because you can't talk about great Chevys without talking about the Camaro, in my opinion. Right. And I think that the first generation Camaro was probably the best, but... I had already, already talked about yeah. the C2, which I think is way better than the first generation Camaro. I'd rather have a C2 Corvette. So if I wanted to talk about the Camaro, I had to talk about the next best generation, which I think is the third generation made from 1982 to 1992, and more specifically, the IROC Z, which was introduced in 1985, and it was named after... And a lot of people don't know this, the International Race of Champions. Yeah, a now defunct race series. <laughs> yeah, which explains why it only lasted for one generation. But yeah. uh, this was offered basically as an option package on the Z28. So you basically took a Z28 and I rockified it. So it had upgraded suspension, lowered ride height, specially uh, valved Delco Bilstein shocks, a larger diameter sway bar, steering and frame brace known as the Wonder Bar, huh. uh, and a funny. special decal package. And then you even had the option of tune port injection taken from the Corvette in that era. Yeah, and that's actually pretty cool because nowadays it feels like a lot of special versions of cars are mostly an appearance kit with maybe a, a little chin spoiler and different wheels and different tires. But like you heard there, there's a lot of actually substantial mechanical and performance upgrades on this IROC Z version of the Camaro and in a very, very mullety way. <laughs> it can, is in a very mullety see, way. Yeah. I can see the cool factor there. I think if, if you could find one that was really, really clean, that could be... I could understand that, but I feel like that would be a difficult car to find in Clean. good condition. Oh yeah, and they they have shot up in value recently. I mean, we're yeah. talking, you know, if you if you find one really really nice, you're probably going to spend over twenty grand. Doesn't surprise right me. Now. And and they're not super fast. I mean, when they first came out, they had a three hundred and five cubic inch V eight. Sounds great on paper, but it's not massive. Uh, it only had 215 horsepower, so yeah, not super fast. Um, even in the later versions, like in '88, they came, they had the uh, 350 yeah. cubic inch V8, and those only had like 230 horsepower. <laughs> so in their fastest yeah. form, they still weren't that fast, but they do look really cool. You can get them with the T-tops. They have those uh, vents on the top of the hood, which I think are really cool. And if I were to get it, I would get it with the louvers on the back window as mm. well. Um, yeah. Just to complete the Full 80s Full mullet look. spec, yeah. Exactly. I mean, if you're going to get a mullet car, you might as well lean into it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'd say. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think they're cool. I think they look really cool. I think they're going to be iconic as time goes on. Um, yeah, I just I dig them. I think they're the second best looking Camaro. Yeah, of I can all understand time. that, and I appreciate that it's it's a unique 
choice. You know, you didn't just go for the mo most obvious version of the Camaro. So, what, what like would have been the more it. obvious version? Well, probably a first generation, like a '68 yeah. or a '69 Camaro, would have been the most obvious. Yeah. Not to say that they're bad cars; they're popular for a reason. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like seeing things that are a little different. Cool. Well, I'm glad that I've at least maybe swayed you slightly. A little bit. I mean, I, I also have a little bit of a mullet car. It's not quite that bad, but yeah. Well, what what is your number two? I mean, we're talking, this is high on a list here. It is. Chevy has been making cars for a long time, and this is going to be your second yeah. favorite Chevy of all time. Mm -hmm. And what would that be? <laughs> Hit the picture. <laughs> this is... This is, specifically, this is David's, uh, one of his GMT 400 2500s. Now I know that this specific GMT 400 of his is technically a GMC. It's the same damn thing as the Chevy's, really. Uh, but these GMT 400 2500 Chevy trucks are phenomenal vehicles, and the 3500s, for that matter. Now... This is not deja vu because Brendan did also have a 454 GMT 400 pickup truck. This is also a 454 GMT 400 pickup truck, but a very different version of it. His was kind of a high performance 454 powered 1500. This is a 2500 also with a 454, but manual transmission and sturdier underpinnings, beefier frame, uh, beefier running gear underneath. And these are trucks that you can still get for a relatively very small amount of money, even they, even these are going up in price now. I've seen some people asking 15 grand for their not that fantastic GMT 400 2500s, which what is do you, what way do you too think much. the 454 SSs will go for? Uh, definitely more than 15, I would bet a decent okay. one. I wouldn't be surprised if one went over 20 grand. I because yeah. they, like you said, they made what about 16,000 of them. So they're rare enough that, yeah, I'm sure people are asking a pretty penny for them. I've never shopped for one, so uh, honestly, hell if I know. But these 2500s, I think, are phenomenal trucks because, again, you can get them affordably. They're very easy to work on, very easy to find parts for. And I've just seen the things that these trucks can do because David has so many of these. So you can get them with an NV4500 five-speed manual transmission. You can get them with that big, torquey 454. It's a sturdy truck underneath. Like I said, easy thing to keep on the road. And they're just awesome. You can get them with a G80 rear locker, so they're decently oh, yeah, usable G80. over, you know, I mean, it's not like a trail vehicle necessarily, but you can get places on it. Uh, I just think that these trucks are phenomenal. If, if today something... If if an airplane engine dropped out of the sky and crushed my Cummins, I don't think I would try to find another Cummins and go down that road again uh, just because they've gotten even harder to find. I don't think I could recreate my truck. I don't think I could afford to at this point. I, li I like how you think that's the only way that your your truck would ever die is <laughs> if is, an airplane yeah. were to crash into it. That seems like the most realistic situation <laughs> to me. Uh, also, because I live in Lafayette, not far from a small airport, and actually an airplane engine did drop onto a house like the next town over from where I really? live. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, but that's if that... Fun. If, yeah, right. <laughs> if that happened to my truck then I would probably just get a GMT 400 like this. Uh, yeah, because I, I love my truck. I wouldn't trade my truck for a GMT 400, but... So you'd get one of these over the 454 SS? Yeah. 
Well, is it simply down to price or price, uh, manual transmission, and you know I think it just fits better uh, what I would want to do with it. I, it's just a, a heftier, more rugged truck. And the impressive thing about these two is that even though they're twenty five hundreds and even the thirty five hundreds. Uh, even though they're higher rated trucks, they ride surprisingly smooth. I mean, David had this fantastic 3500 called Powder Keg that our buddy Dan Atkinson has now. And he and I drove that truck through one of the fields on his property and his 3500 rode noticeably smoother than my 2500. Wow. So just really impressive, phenomenal trucks. I love these love them and i would very seriously consider buying one well i mean i i get it they're cool <laughs> but did you know i'm throwing a lot of trucks your way yeah one of the vehicles that i owned that actually was the you know this vehicle that i'm going to talk about here is the reason why i'm with you all it's the reason why i was introduced to tfl your manual chrysler no so that was the first video yeah. you guys did a video <laughs> with, yes. But I owned a GMT 400 454 Suburban. Suburban. Yeah, it was I do the GMC that. Suburban. And How'd it was you ever all get rid black. Of that? Well, in, in, to be honest, I bought it to make money off of it because I know it was super it's cheap. Your business, and I, yeah. And I fixed it up and I sold it. But I actually bought it out from underneath you guys. You, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you guys were, about that were trying to buy the same vehicle that I was. <laughs> I forgot about that. And I was just quicker to the draw with it. So I just I emailed the guy as soon as it went live on Facebook, and I came down like within several hours with the cash. And he was like, you know what's odd? In the time that it took you to drive down here, because it, it was like two hours away from me, he's like, I got an email from TFL. Have you heard of them? And I said, oh, yeah, I watch their YouTube channel. They do some interesting car stuff. He's like, yeah, they wanted to buy this. And they, they offered the amount that you have. Or, or I'm sorry, he said they offered a little bit more than you're offering. I'm like, well... And I waved the cash in front of him, like, I'm here, cash in hand. Yeah. So you want to sell it to me right now, or do you want to take the risk that somebody else is going to show maybe show up and buy it? And he just shrugged his shoulders and took the cash and sold it to me. And uh, but it's that's smart. Can't that's, blame you. Yeah, that spurred me to email you guys because I felt bad after the fact. I was like, you know, <laughs> right. they just wanted to create some content and do some fun stuff with this uh, this uh, cool SUV. So I emailed you guys and I said, hey. I, I'm the one that bought this. Did you want to do some videos on it? You're welcome to do some videos on it once I fix it up. And you, and here we you are. Guys were like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I said, oh, and by the way, I have all these other vehicles, and I listed them. And you know, between Tommy and Andre, that yeah. were looking through the list, they're like, we'll do videos on this one and that one and that. One. Yeah. And it just kind of spurred this whole relationship that we built up, where uh, I started doing a lot of videos with you guys. All and thanks. To, I work for you. Yeah. All thanks to GMT 400 454s. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, you, you've experienced the magic of what these trucks are but all I, about. I would prefer it in suburban form because Which I, I like understand. the idea of having all that capability, but also being able to seat like seven people yeah. in it, you know, or if, if I want to take the seats out, whatever I'm hauling around, I can haul with a top over it so that yeah. it's not exposed to the elements. My logic is I like to camp out of my truck, so being able to lay out in a totally open truck bed and make cabinets and all that kind of thing um, underneath a topper is really nice, plus the utility of being able to pull the topper and the camping gear out, use it as a pickup truck, and then 
when it comes time to, and this is terrible of me, but when it comes time to go skiing or go on a trip somewhere, uh, and, and people are saying, well, who's driving? Not me. I've got a single cab truck. So I guess I'm riding passenger. See, I guess that's, that is the difference because I love to drive. So anytime I'm going somewhere and I'm, I'm weird, I get car sick if I'm sitting in the back seat. So whenever anybody else wants to drive, I have to be the guy that's like, yeah. okay, as long as I can have shotguns so I don't throw up. Well, and that's the cool thing is, is I, I get to drive myself going to do a lot of things, but I don't have to drive a whole boatload of people. So, uh, yeah, so if we're going skiing, which is not a fun drive, um, something like that, I'm not going to be the one to drive us no matter what. So I don't, get, I don't have to be stuck in traffic. Well, Pretty for those, those of you that have watched the TFL Classics YouTube channel and have listened to this podcast, I think you're going to guess as to what my number one is. But my number one is a vehicle that I currently own, which is probably still my favorite vehicle of all time that I've ever owned. And that is my 300,000 mile <laughs> GMC Yukon XL with the 8.1. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, we did the unkillable video. Uh, on right before it YouTube, broke. <laughs> right before it died. Yeah. Well, it didn't, it didn't die. Uh, yeah. It just... it. Uh, Blew up its front diff, right? No, it's the, um, gosh, why is the name escaping me? It's transfer case? Yes, thank you. The transfer case uh, blew. But now the, now the front diff is going too, right? Uh, no, oddly enough. I thought enough. it was making noise. Yeah, it, well, I thought it was making noise, but in reality what it was is the selector, the electronic selector that's on the side of the transfer case yeah. that selects between four-wheel drive and two-wheel drive, was not functioning, so it was literally stuck between uh, two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive, causing it to give like a loud humming noise while I was driving hmm. because it was in neither two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. Well, I it guess was that's not partially the between. Worst of things to have. I mean, was that is that pretty easy to address? Yeah. So it, I it bought didn't the part. Do any damage it was a, to the transfer. Thankfully, case? no, because I barely drove it. We trailered right. it back from Nebraska. Yeah. Thanks to Andre. Yeah, it broke uh, down if, a ways away. Yeah. If we had actually driven that back, it probably would have broke the transfer case again. So thankfully, <laughs> Which would have been yeah annoying. So, so thankfully, we towed it back. Um, and then I literally just like parked it in my backyard and then drove it to a mechanic like a month later. And that's when he diagnosed it. It was a $120 part, another hour or so of labor to throw Not it bad. on. And now it functions. The Now the problem is, is it leaks a profuse amount of oil. <laughs> uh, it leaks a little from, bit of transmission fluid from the transmission cooler line. Um, is leaking oil from the motor or from... It's from the oil, oil from pan the gasket tanks. and the rear main seal are both leaking, hmm. which, yeah, to yeah. fix all three of those leaks, I've been quoted, and this is actually a pretty good price, I think, about 1200 bucks. So right now it's kind of parked waiting on that because also the tires are cupping. I, I, uh, I would do it for less. Really? Yeah. You would do a, a rear main seal because you have yeah. to disconnect. The, like. Oh, I know. It's it's I've, a big I've, job. Yeah, I've pulled uh, I've pulled the transmission out of my truck and the transmission uh, transmission and transfer case and obviously drive shafts. Pulled all of that out of my truck to do a clutch in my driveway, and we did the same thing to my buddy's Cummins, his six seven Cummins, uh, with a G fifty six, a manual in also in our driveway. 
So uh, I'm no stranger to bench pressing transmissions back into uh, <laughs> HD vehicles in okay. uh, in the driveway with the help of a buddy of mine. So yeah, so you, well, said you guys oil, are hearing it oil, at the same yeah. time I am. We, maybe maybe you said oil pan and rear main. Can, yeah, that's what he said. Oil pan and rear uh, yep. rear main seal are both leaking, and the transmission cooler line is also leaking fluid. I guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't think I don't know if I have. Any well, we'll of the have tools to discuss after to the, make a line, but yeah, okay. after the podcast, so that, maybe that might happen. Maybe that'll be a video coming up, or maybe <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you want to come film it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to film that while I'm doing it because if I'm working on a vehicle we'll take, over the weekend, we'll take photos and as a talk side about gig. it afterwards. Right? Maybe. If you want to film it, you can film it. If I'm okay. if I'm pulling a trans and doing seals, I'm not. I'm not also going to be filming that in my free well, that time. Well, <laughs> that would be cool because it's it's you still been parked it. because uh, it's leaking quite a lot of fluid and uh, also the tires are cupping and it needs shocks. Yeah, I don't have an alignment so, rack. Yeah, <laughs> but wow. that would be that would be really cool actually. Well, yeah. we'll have to discuss that. <laughs> but anyway, so the <laughs> getting off topic here. Yeah, uh, so these were made from 2000 to 2006, um, and my favorite is the the Yukon XL and the Suburbans because they give you the most usability, in yeah. my opinion, of that platform by having such a long. Uh, body and having a ton of space in the back because even with three rows you still have a huge amount of space behind that third row for everything you could imagine so it's in my opinion if you want to go over landing oh, yeah. you'd be really hard to beat to to do something better or have something better than this yeah and generally they are pretty reliable mine yeah. has three hundred thousand miles before something catastrophic happened to it and even that i can still fix it and get it back on the road because parts are still plentifully available um so the base ones came with a 5.3 liter uh v8 and it's just an ls motor when you talk about ls swapping a vehicle this is the engine generally you're talking yeah. about. That so you 5. just 3. throw some turbos on this. There you go. Yeah, and you can have a really fast vehicle. And I mean, and destroy your transmission like that. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't super fast. I mean, we're talking the peak of the 5.3 put out 295 horsepower, 335 pound-feet of torque, but that's not what they were about. I mean, no. they were about utility, and yeah, they could tow. It's a big understressed V8 that'll exactly. go forever. It would go forever. It can tow over 8,000 pounds. Yeah. Um, maybe not if you got it in all or four by four, it would decrease your towing a little bit. But uh, if you got the 2500, that came with like beefed up axles. Um, it had, I think, the eight lug wheels, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the eight lug wheels. And it came with a six liter V8 putting out 315 horsepower, 365 pound feet of torque, and could tow up to 10,500 pounds. But there was an even bigger option than that, which is the one that I have. In 2001, they started offering the 8.1 liter behemoth 8 V8. <laughs> yeah, putting out 340 horsepower, <laughs> but 455 pound-feet of torque, allowing it to tow up to 12,000 yeah. pounds. That's pretty badass to have a Suburban that has a bigger, or I guess what, yours is a Yukon. Yeah, um, they're but, basically interchangeable. They're just yeah. gussied up Yukons, is what but, the Uc or gussied up Suburbans is what the Yukons are. To have a Suburban or a Yukon with a considerably larger displacement engine than like than a brand new F two fifty. Yeah, <laughs> like you think a six point seven in a in a big diesel truck is a big engine, and it is. Uh, but eight point one. Yeah, 
That's a lot of displacement. And I think that's these, pretty cool. I think these are going to be a cult classic, honestly. Definitely. It is, I think this was peak uh, GMC, Yukon, and Suburban because also they have probably some of the most comfortable seats ever put in an SUV. Um, the, because after that, for whatever reason, they just progressively got harder and stiffer, whereas the GMT 800 platform, they're just super soft and squishy and oh, yeah. comfortable seats. Um, yeah, and they're just they're the also best. GMT 800s are generally uh, pretty affordable. So, oh, yes. uh, well, generally very affordable. So that part is nice, and like you said, it's it's a do anything kind of truck. Yeah, I mean, mine is the rarest SUV. of the rare, and with high mileage, I bought mine for six grand. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a lot of machinery right there for six grand. Yeah, I mean, you you can find the standard 1500 versions of these all over the place for less than three thousand bucks in good running condition and it's just it will last you till the end of time as long as you take care of it but enough about my gmt 800 let's finish off with what your number one favorite chevy vehicle ever made is is. also going to be of of surprise to even fewer people than your top pick because we've made boatloads of videos on this car because it's just the best damn car ever uh this is my c4 corvette now uh, this was kind of my pick for an 80s vehicle because mine's an 88, um, and they came out in 84. Obviously, they made these cars into the 90s, well into the 90s, 96. But uh, I like the 80s versions the best, even though they're, you know, it's fewer horsepower, and a lot of people hated the early interiors. I like the early body and interiors better. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> that's spectacular. I got See, that image just yeah. for you. Thank okay. you. So I have you're that on, saved in my camera yeah, roll. If you're, if you're on image. YouTube, uh, you are seeing the digital instrument yeah. cluster from the... Wh- when did they stop putting the digital instru- com- instrument cluster in the C4s? Uh, 90, the interior changed. So okay. um, 89, they went to a regular six-speed transmission instead of my weird transmission. Um, but they still had the older interior. So if you want a regular six-speed, but you are weird like me and, and you like this interior, um, then 89 is the year for you. But I like this just because it's so it's so optimistic. It's so 80s. It's, it's so trying to be futuristic, and, and what a vision of the future it was. Uh, I think these are genuinely very cool designs. They feel like very special cars to be around, um, and it's it's a cool thing, I think, for for car people. I mean, it's funny, most of the people, because I used to have a little supercharged Mini Cooper, and that was a fun car. I just bought it to be practical and to get around so I didn't have to use the truck all the time. And it's funny, when I got this Corvette, everybody, everybody I know is like, man, I'm so glad that you have the Corvette now instead of the Mini. It's like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> I like it too, but yeah, I everybody was so relieved that I had this You got this rid instead. of the Mini, huh? Yeah. Um, it's funny because I think the people that love minis like me and Tommy, I know, is another big mini person. Um, are strange. Yeah, we're, we are strange, <laughs> odd people. Um, but 
the people in our lives tend to not understand it. Like my yeah, wife, yeah. <laughs> my my wife, when I own or get excited about minis, she's just like, I. If if you were driving a mini when I met you, I don't know that we would be married. Is <laughs> literally what she said to me. <laughs> wow, I was That's driving. Brutal. I was driving a Honda Ridgeline at the yeah. time, so apparently that was cool enough to get me married to her. But my girlfriend yeah. didn't much like mine either. I, I think it was all the squeaks and rattles. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, uh, amazingly enough, the mini my two thousand and three mini rattled more than my eighty eight Corvette. That's surprising. That is well. It's a little surprising. Not that, these I are mean, not known for their build quality. Neither are minis, though. No, <laughs> no, but that that's also considerably newer. Anyway, um, these cars are just—they're uh, a lot of fun. At the end of the day, whether you like these cars or you think it's just the worst vehicle that's ever been made, there's a lot of fun to be had with these. They're very inexpensive. I mean, I got mine for ten grand. I think I genuinely believe that this is one of the few bargains. Uh, left for enthusiasts on the car market because even things like E30s that were historically very cheap and, and great cars and a lot of fun, those are starting to get expensive now. These are still reasonably cheap. Yeah, I got mine for 10 grand. It's got good paint and body work. The interior is fine. I mean, my stereo doesn't work really. Um, and there's a lot of little bits of trim that if I wanted them to be perfect and not have any little cracks in them and things. I need to replace most of the trim, but it's a very presentable car and a lot of fun and decent. I haven't had any reliability issues with it. The pop-up headlights, every single one of these that you find used for any decent price, you're you're gonna have to mess with the pop-up headlights. But otherwise, um, I think yeah, that's really I fantastic. Feel like that's car. true fun of to drive. most vehicles with pop-up headlights. Yeah, yeah. I think these especially because <laughs> the gears that spin them around and they spin them pretty aggressively. Um, the gears that spin them around are plastic, which is a oh geez fantastic idea. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that's dumb. And I yeah, it's it's it just it feels like a very special car. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled through a drive-through or, or something, and the guy at Chick Fil A or the guy at the coffee shop or whatever says uh, says like, "Wow, this is a really really cool car." I'm like, "Thanks." It was actually only ten grand. Like. I had one of the guys say, really? I would have believed it was 100. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, uh, to which, you know, I thought, thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty high praise for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not that special, but it, it, it looks and it feels like a special car to be around. I highly recommend these. If, if you're just into having fun and you don't care about having an objectively good car, uh, yeah, this, this is... This is a lot of fun. You know what I think is interesting about this podcast is you're more of a truck guy. I'm more of a, uh, yeah. a fun car guy. And you're number and, one. And my number one is a trucky kind of thing. And your number one is a fun car kind of thing. Mm. So I it's just that Corvette. Ro- rolls it's, reverse it's a little best. bit there for number one. But uh, yeah, but I think this has been fun. And I'd be curious to know, too, what you guys think in those comments yeah. section below. Is there a Chevy Drop that us we your missed? List. Yeah. And are are we crazy with some of ours? I mean, is an IROC Z worthy of this I think this we're crazy list? with probably most of them, but yeah. that's fine. <laughs> but anyways, if you've made it all the way to the end, thanks so much for watching and or listening. For watching. Yeah, watching. <laughs> watching and or listening. This has been Brendan. And Case. Take care, guys. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.